0: Welcome to VR Hermits, a podcast about virtual reality development. I'm Dave Ramsey.
1: And I'm Joe Simpson. How's it going, Dave?
0: Doing really good, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. We got a
1: uh, pretty cool VR lineup of topics today. Um, You want to start talking about VR input? Sure. So this is something we kind of touched on last week. I said I was going to be spending a lot of time with... User interface, like menus and controller input this week. So that was a big part of my focus. And uh, mixed results. Um, I ended the week with some pretty cool stuff, but it took a lot of steps to get there and just a lot of trying different things. And I'm still not quite where I want to be. But after I explained to you the three different things I tried, at least the three things that were topical anyway. That maybe you can help me figure out how to get to where I want to go. Okay. So so I'm using the Steam VR asset pack in Unity. And I'm I've been using up until now I've been using the Steam VR interaction system. Um there is a player prefab that's in the core folder of that. And uh I just made a copy of that and customized it for what I needed. And I've been using that in pretty much both of the projects up until this point. And when I started the first attempt at making a menu, obviously the first thing I wanted to do was be able to toggle the menu on and off with the uh, the application menu button. So on the Vive controllers, that's the little button right above the trackpad. I'm not really sure where it's at on the touch controllers on Oculus, but there's a a button that maps to the same input there. Mm -hmm. And on the Windows controller, it's kind of a little button next to the trackpad and underneath the D-pad or underneath the uh, thumbstick. So all three devices have a button that maps to the same input, and I just want to toggle a menu, either a 2D or 3D menu on and off. And that was not easy to do using the interaction toolkit. Um, Everything that I've learned about Unity so far tells me that polling for input is probably a waste of time. (laughs) So I should be using events for that, Uh, particularly Unity's, Unity's event system so, you know, I did some googling around and of course the one blog that I ended up on was that Unity 3D college blog that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. He's got a pretty good write up of how to use input with Steam VR, but that blog post isn't using the interaction toolkit. It's using the regular Steam VR camera rig. So, after some kind of just googling around, it pretty much looks like there are two branches you can go down two roads you can pick when you are working with SteamVR. The first, and the, what seems like what most people are doing, is you ignore the interaction toolkit entirely, since most people don't even realize it's there. <laughs> there is a prefab in the, uh, you know, up at the same level above that, there's a prefabs folder, and in there, there's a camera rig prefab. You drag that into your scene, it's made up of the camera rig and some default controller objects and does some really basic things. It tracks the controllers and then you can, um, you can attach a component called the uh, I think steam VR tracked controller component to those, you know, left and right hand controllers, or whatever they're called, you can attach that component to it. And then you can write a class, attach it to that same object, get the component and attach event listeners to that. And that's pretty much, you know, that's a nice, it's not super elegant, but it's a, it's a clean way of only getting those inputs when they're actually being pressed without actually pulling them on every frame, right. which could get kind of annoying. Um, but that same workflow, attaching the track controller component doesn't work with the hands that are set up in the interaction toolkit or interaction uh, system. So that one, that player prefab, is customized by Valve much, much more. It does a lot more, it's got, it's built in such a way that you drag kind of behaviors into the scene, like the teleportation ability, You drag in a teleportation prefab, and the hands just inherit the ability to be able to teleport. Same thing, if it detects objects that are interactable, it can just interact with them. What they didn't account for is actually allowing you to uh, get your own button input from those controllers when you're using that. And the only way to do that that I've found is actually just to use the the base classes that the event systems are looking at and go out and actually pull by frame and get those buttons that way. But that's obviously not an ideal way of doing that. So I have both working. I've got some different versions in the same sandbox scene and I, I can get both of them working Um, As far as the menu goes, obviously I don't have interaction on the camera prefab because I would have to code all that myself. And none of the components in the interaction system are really compatible with the other system. So it's kind of like I have to pick which direction do I want to go. Do I want to start from scratch but have really good input or do I want to start with almost everything I need and then code my own input? Um, And I spent some time kind of going back and forth with those talked to some other developers everybody was kind of having the same issue and then uh i I tried a couple other things throughout the week i took a look at something called newton vr um, which is an abstraction layer for steam vr and the oculus dev kit and it was okay but wasn't quite what i was looking for and then at some point i tried the vive input uh, plugin or vive input utility i think it's called. So this is made by Vive, not Valve, but uh, HTC. (laughs) And uh, they made a little abstraction layer that surprisingly, despite the fact that it has Vive in the name, it also supports Oculus and Daydream and a couple other controllers. And it's not documented, but it's also working now with the Windows Mixed Reality controllers. So neat. the first time I tried that early in the week, it wasn't working with the, with the windows mixed reality stuff. Like the camera pre- prefab was all messed up, but they released an update on Friday that seemed to fix all those issues. So I've been using that since Saturday late morning, which was, it was great to get that up and running, but it would have been nice if I had found it three days earlier before I spent three days trying to make my own stuff. Right. Um, But uh, so the Vive Input Utility, it's got a really nice, some really nice examples of how to just working with Unity's event system, get these inputs from the controllers and work on them accordingly. And even give you some sample classes that you can use or or duplicate and, and modify. So that's what I've done so far. And they do give you some basic interaction stuff. I don't know if I would actually ship it. I'd probably want to just replace it. Um, But they do give you ways to be able to pick up objects and teleport around the scene, things like that. Their teleportation thing was both really cool and need to work. (laughs) The cool thing about it is um, it's just a component you attach to an object that you want to be able to teleport on, which in the SteamVR teleportation framework, um, you drag in... The teleportation game object and then anything anywhere you want to teleport you have to either put a teleport point prefab where you want those are the little dots you can teleport on or a teleport area which is made up of another mesh right above the floor so if you get a large floor you can put another mesh right above it just a tiny bit above it and you can teleport around on that surface but it doesn't really work well in like rocky terrain or hills or things like that um, the one that vive has you just attach a component to the like the entire landscape I'm working with, and now the entire landscape is teleportable. So it's it's kind of cool that way. It's also not without its problems because half of the landscape is underwater. Now that you, now you can just teleport right underwater. So. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you don't want that. There are other approaches out there like teleporting using navigation meshes, and you can kind of calculate the navigation mesh based on where the water is. So that may be somewhere to go in the future. But yeah, that was
0: a or lot if they of talk. Teleport underwater, just make them drown.
1: <laughs> yeah, or just uh, fall through the world. <laughs> yeah, at some point, I, I'm gonna make a scene. Like people are gonna escape these islands. at somehow, if I give them enough navigation, so I, I do want to put a very long stack of turtles underneath the world, <laughs> <laughs> just to validate some claims.
0: See, so you go turtles all the way down, and I go Discworld. Yeah. That it's underneath the world is four giant elephants who are all standing on the back of one single humongous turtle.
1: hmm The funny thing about the turtles all the way down thing is that everybody says it's from a different person. <laughs> it's one of those things that people attribute to, like, half a dozen people. And I know it... I mean, I don't know that this is true, but I know it as a, a William James anecdote. I heard it from a philosopher on YouTube that he was giving a public seminar on William James and told this anecdote. But I've all, I've heard it from many other people as well. So who knows?
0: I'm sure there's a version somewhere where Socrates said it, but he stole it from somebody else. So
1: Yeah. Yeah. Who knows at this point? So, yeah, that's a lot of work to just get the <laughs> <laughs> the application button up and running. And uh, like I say, it's working now. Um, so the next step was to actually, I guess, before I stop that, do you have any questions about inputs so far?
0: I, I just think that some of the people who are designing some of these interaction and coding systems should probably listen to you speak on these topics. I just go, okay, add that to the to-do list, and that, and even the ones where you know you've got a really good answer, it just means that you're missing on documentation. Like, mm-hmm. we need to properly document that there is a really simple answer to this problem. We just, it's named funny or something like that. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the SteamVR plugin, the team making that, they... They need oversight or project management or something. They need somebody <laughs> asking questions before they ship new updates. Because, like, I'm so, I'm no expert at this, but i I am an expert at making software and making sure shoddy stuff doesn't get out the door. And that's kind of what it feels like. Hey, we have an entire interaction toolkit. You don't think anybody's going to want to push buttons, right? Nah, don't worry about it. I think.
0: Yeah, there's a guy I used to work with who was of the opinion that there was. You could get some amazing stuff if you let developers run amok. Like, they could turn out just outstanding, powerful products that were almost entirely unusable by anybody other than them. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, you needed either as, like, project management or even just to a certain degree as documentation. Like, you needed somebody who doesn't know the technology, whose job is to write up how you do all this stuff. And when they write it up, they're going to go, hey, wait a second. There's all these other buttons on the controller. Do you guys have something for that? I mean, yeah. the answer can be it will come later. <laughs> but somebody's got to ask the question.
1: Yeah. And the the Vive input utility, I this is just speculation on my part, but I have the feeling, just based on the forums that I read on Viveport... I get the sense that so many people were not getting a response from Valve on their forums that they started going to Viveport and asking HTC for help. And at some point, some project manager in HTC noticed enough of these complaints to say, well, if Valve's not going to do anything about it, we may as well make something to like reduce these numbers of identical tickets. Because I right. think they were getting bombarded with so many people with the same question. So they just put out their own thing. And it's pretty good. And it's documented and easy to use. So.
0: Yeah, there's a, a support model that I've been trying to adopt recently, which is always targeting, regardless of the value that I might place on a particular feature, the feature that is filling the most time in the support system, mm-hmm. either via small numbers with high complexity of handling the support, or lots and lots of incidences whatever it is that's consuming time in your support process to code to that and it ends up reducing your support time which gives you all this other time back to do other stuff um, works really well as an independent developer I don't know how I don't know necessarily how that works when you've got a 50 person team
1: mm-hmm. yeah no idea so yeah any questions about input
0: At this point, my only question is yours, which is why is it still so complicated? (laughs) But
1: yeah, yeah, and this is another one of those trade offs between Unity and Unreal, where this is one of those things you just don't even have to deal with, at least with the Vive controllers. I haven't tried the other controllers in Unreal Engine, but it's just built into the engine. You go into the project settings and go to the input tab and define your inputs, and they're just built in the controllers. All the buttons are mapped out. You just pick which ones you want to do what, and then you can call them in code or blueprints. So it just feels just like another one of those trade-offs, like you get this, but you have to deal with blueprints. (laughs) (laughs) Or you get to deal with blueprints, depending on.
0: Congratulations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But overall, I think I'll definitely stick with Unity for ease of use. But it's just one of those things like having known a better way. It just kind of bugs me that it's this complicated. So the other area that I wanted to talk about is uh, VR menus. And we've talked about this a little bit the last couple of weeks. I initially wanted to not do VR menus. I wanted to do 3D interactive objects as menus and just kind of get away from the entire user interface paradigm. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I thought about how convenient it is for some apps to be able to set up the settings with the mouse and keyboard before putting the headset on. So I wanted to kind of keep that as well. So I decided to go back to working with menus. And uh, I built a pretty simple menu system. It's definitely a placeholder to be replaced by something else. Um, for nothing else, it's completely flat. And I really want to do one of those curved UIs. Um but right now I'm just using the stock unity canvas and I've got, you know, 12 buttons and some images attached to them. So I'm using the button components. I swapped out the image component, which is made for sprites with the raw image component, which you can put any texture in. So I used the, uh, a little nice feature in Gaia. They've got a snapshot utility, so you can just point a camera anywhere in the scene while it's running and hit a button to create a snapshot. And uh, I just found some nice views of the three scenes that I've got in the project and made some snapshots and then used those for the images in the navigation. Um, So at this point I've got, basically it's uh, three columns of four buttons. Only three of them actually have images on them. The other ones are just kind of placeholders for the other scenes when they come. And uh, it's as simple as just pointing the controller and uh, using a laser pointer and the trigger to select, and uh, so it's it's simple in result. I'm using that in conjunction with the Vive input laser pointer. So they've got a nice little laser pointer um, that worked pretty well. The the Steam VR laser pointer is an abomination. Um, it's just. I don't know if it's just an example of how to make a laser and then they just kind of left it at that but it doesn't actually do anything um and it yeah it doesn't really intersect objects you have to like do all that yourself and i got it working kind of but sometimes the laser would just decide it wasn't going to be very long for no reason like i'm just going to be a foot long and just call it a day and then sometimes it would stop doing that and yeah Sometimes, like, toggling the menu on with the laser pointed at where the menu would show up would just immediately trigger a collider on the menu button and trigger the the click event. So,
0: yeah, it wasn't good. You know, Um, Joe, now that I think about it, your product should be a developer toolkit for making VR easier.
1: (laughs) There there are some of those out there.
0: (laughs) Yes, but you should make one that actually does all the stuff that you need it to do.
1: No, no, no. I just want to use one of those. <laughs> I really don't want to make one. Okay. I'm hoping you'll get frustrated into making one. Ah. Uh, but I know yeah. there's no XML parsing involved. So.
0: <laughs> well, but there could be. I mean, what was the the old quote? XML is like violence. If it's not solving your problem, you're not using enough of it. <laughs> Ouch.
1: So yeah, the. <laughs> it's moving on.
0: It's not my so, quote. I didn't. I didn't make that one up.
1: So the SteamVR laser was uh wasn't really working for me. So what I really want is I don't want a laser pointer just attached to the thing all the time. I want, um, when you click the application button, the laser pointer also shows up and you can use it to select inside the menu. But when you click it again, the menu goes away and the laser goes away. So that's what I was able to set up with the VIVE input stuff and uh, get that working. It's a bit easier to deal with as well because you just, with the way that I was doing it with the Steam Laser Pointer and following Jason's blog again um, with how to use it with interactions, I had to attach a component to every single UI object in the canvas and the uh, the way that VIVE has it set up with their laser stuff you just attach it to the canvas and then it kind of everything inherits from that object so it's a bit easier to set up so there are some really cool menu options out there in vr Um, i'm meeting with some other developers this week to talk about the prototype as a whole and one of the things we'll talk about is menus but There's a lot we can do. There's some really cool curved UI stuff in the Asset Store. There's some good stuff on blogs. I just haven't dived into any of it yet. Um, And then I'm trying to figure out how people are getting that kind of pause screen effect. So some games, when you bring up the menu, it tends to dim the entire surrounding and just show you your UI Um, It almost seems seems like you're changing scenes, and then I was thinking, like, maybe they are changing scenes, or maybe they're loading a second scene on top of where the user is. So I need to investigate that and see if that's what's happening. Like, if you can just make a menu scene um, somewhere else in the project, you would have to load it. It would have to kind of always be loaded and ready to go to be that responsive, because you can't just transition to it and and wait for it to load for three to five seconds. But uh, if it's light enough, it could be kind of cool just to lay out your entire menu canvas or 3D menu, like a hub or whatever, in just another scene. And then when you push the application button, it loads that other scene or like activates it, enables it, or whatever, disables the other scene, or maybe keeps it just so you can't interact with it, or you've got a collider around the menu scene so you can't, none of your inputs can escape it and interfere with the other world. I don't know, there could be some cool stuff there. I just need to see if any of that's possible. I may just be making up impossible things again.
0: (laughs) I mean, my first guess would be there's a big translucent plane just behind Mm -hmm. your menus. And it moves with the headset. So everywhere you look, you just can't see any further than the -hmm. other things. There could be some weird clipping issues there.
1: Yeah. One of the things I want to do with my menu is just attach a collider to it that's just big enough. Like it spawns like a meter in front of the user, and they can just use a later pointer to select things. Um, I want to make a sphere collider that encompasses the menu and where the user is standing when they bring up the menu, and then use that as a trigger when they leave that collider to dismiss the menu. So Just kind of clean up after they go, because they can just walk away from it.
0: It so, uh, would If it's a sphere that's big enough, though, you might end up with too much. Maybe just a smaller sphere that covers, you know, head times two. Mm-hmm. So if you... Just so you don't have to leave a large sphere, you can leave a relatively small sphere that's yeah, independent definitely. of any of these display effects or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so trying to get the um trying to get a 2d menu to actually show up where i wanted it to was a whole morning of just banging my head on vector math and then eventually getting help uh yeah from one, from one of the developers of the co-working space so it's just weird i don't even i don't have that laptop in front of me um with all the code but i, I had to position the thing in a certain way and then rotate it in a certain way and both of them were a challenge um, but basically, I wanted the menu to show up a meter in front of wherever the user was facing, which wasn't necessarily the forward vector of the VR object. Mm-hmm. It was the like the direct the forward direction of the camera. So it was a bit hard to figure out that out. And eventually, like, how do I get that position, and then how do I normalize that onto a plane? because I can be looking up when I hit the menu, but I still want it to appear at the same spot right in front of me, not up in the air or down on the ground, like wedged in. And then how do I rotate that in such a way that it's only rotating on the axis that I care about? So yeah, it was a, I don't remember the exact functions, but it was a lot of, you know, subtracting this vector from that vector and normalizing stuff and uh, yeah. I need to get better at that that type of stuff because I felt really stupid. <laughs> it was one of those things like we've all been there in other languages like you're struggling with what seems like a really hard problem and somebody else just says, oh, you just blah, blah, blah. And they type in like three functions and there you go. That's all you needed.
0: Yeah, when I was playing with 2D stuff, it was always a thing of, like, the entire world is moving past the camera, but I need this one object to not move and not rotate and not do the things that everything else in the entire world is doing. And as soon as something in the world deviates from the pattern of everything else, suddenly it gets very complicated. Um, And none of the math ever makes sense to me. So unfortunately when you bump into those kinds of problems you really can't call me (laughs) not yet well not until I've released my mathematical rotation VR kit tool Mm -hmm. to the store yeah one of the well
1: one of the blog posts I was reading today it was actually a blog post on extensions and C sharp and particularly in unity and uh Jason, who writes this blog, made a good case for using extensions. He kind of keeps a library of common extensions that he uses from project to project. And these types of kind of repetitive, but how do I do that again, functions are a good example of things that he would use in extensions. Like, Let me just Uh extend the transform class to make a direction to or direction from Uh method on that. So he's got some examples on his blog I'm going to take a look at and kind of add to my own toolkit. Like, I I totally do that with FileMaker and other languages. I just haven't done that so far with Unity.
0: That's actually one of my favorite things to dig into in somebody else's code is where their extensions are. Like, the things that they wanted to be able to use all the time when they were interacting with stuff. Mm -hmm. And hopefully those sections are well commented so I can understand what the heck is going on. But
1: Yeah. Like, you could just make a utility class and kind of include those, but the way he was doing it, just, like, let's extend the transform class itself. So you can use these new functions on any transform across the project.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that I miss in C Sharp from Swift, is Swift will let you do extension properties. Mm -hmm. So you can actually just, like, basically make an extension that will give you something kind of like a function, but it doesn't have to have parentheses. It's just you added an extension variable to the object class. Um, and it's just nice to be able to differentiate properties from functions that do things or methods. Yeah. Um, my head, once once I made the, the adaptation in Swift, I missed not being able to make the same adaptation in C Sharp. Hmm. So,
1: Yeah, extensions are pretty cool. I need to take a look at the uh, SteamVR stuff and particularly like that level loader class I was mentioning. I wonder if I can just use an extension to add the functionality that I want there and just call a different method rather than the one that's being called for the scene loading stuff. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Events mm-hmm. and why words hurt me, okay so as i'm <clears throat> as I'm struggling with all this <clears throat> excuse me, as I'm struggling through all of this uh interaction stuff with the controllers and making menus, um I keep breaking my head on the idea of events, and I kinda know what events are in most programming languages, and I thought that's what we were talking about all the time. But I keep seeing these other things in the Unity Inspector called event systems that are attached to game objects. And I'm like, what what is this thing? What are you doing here? And then there's these events here where I drag in a game object and specify a function and a value based on it, like an on-click event. And then I can make an event object, like a public variable event object, and show that in the inspector and populate that like this one word is being used too many ways. And I'm confused <laughs> now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I kind of know what events are in C-Sharp. I was hoping to get more of a an explanation from you since you've worked with them more than I have. But uh from what I can understand about the C-Sharp events, you make a class, you make a delegate to the class, and then you, you define an event to it. And the event... Is basically for lack of a better term like a queue of things you can add things to the queue or the list of objects that are listening to it so we can go away to another class we can reference the other class that has the events built in and then we can make a listener to it and we add our listener to that queue and the way that you just use the uh, the plus equal operators to add that on to that list and then your class is now listening for that event so it seems like it's like subscribing to it is probably a better word than listening. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: uh, different systems will use both of those words.
1: Yeah. So I, I kind of understand that concept, but I was getting tripped up by seeing that in code and then also seeing the Unity events in the inspector and those not being the same thing. Like this code didn't create that event. Where did that come from? <laughs> um I realized that there's this whole other system called the event system in Unity that came out like version 4.6 or thereabouts, um, where Unity introduced all the stuff for the new GUI tools, and brought the event system with it. And it's just a whole different thing, and it's kind of confusing. So, and the confusing thing is I'm using both of these things for the, the Steam VR menu system and input system. So I'm using the C sharp to actually get the input from the controller and I'm using the unity events to initiate um, on those events to initiate when to like activate the game objects that are doing the level loading so the and this is just confusing and I need to find a better way to do this but currently I'm using that steam VR load level component which is a pretty cool way of doing things because it doesn't slam the brakes on your game it can load asynchronously and it can throw you into a compositor view where you can still feel like you're in vr and still have some positional movement but you're just in a holding zone Um, and you can kind of customize that view and make it look a certain way but it, it it doesn't like jack the frame rate down and make you sick or just like blank out your screen Things like that. It keeps you in VR even though there's nothing to do for two or three seconds while the other scene loads. And uh, the only way that i found, well, the, the lazy way that I've found to use those is uh, they have got a little checkbox at the bottom of the component that just says activate on enable. So I just disable the game object and then use an event later on in the menu. So on my little menu button, there is an on click event. And then I drag my, lo- my load level component or low-level game object into that, and then specify the game object, and then down to the uh, set active bool and set that to true. So when you click, you activate that, and then the scene transition takes place. So it's it's a sloppy way of doing that. Um, it's it's mainly sloppy because I haven't found a way to actually call that load level class in code and just set the names of the levels I want to load dynamically. So I actually just have three different load level components for each scene. Mm-hmm. It's just a string you type in. So I need to kind of see if I can extend that or call that via script and just have one of those rather than 12 eventually. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's weird stuff.
0: So over time... I have developed in my head, a useful abstraction for the way that event systems work. And it is not necessarily an accurate abstraction or capture all the variation of the details of how the system works. But so far it hasn't really led me wrong. So until I bump into a system that works substantively differently I can continue to use the abstraction and event systems are pretty easy to understand. Um, And basically it's just, there's a pool somewhere that events are periodically thrown into. And then they kind of disappear. Kind of a timeout sort of thing. They just pop up as like a little, little firework going off. And so you have things that launch fireworks and things that watch for particular colors of fireworks. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't really matter what the emitter is and it doesn't really matter what the listener is, but they can each be watching for these things. And then you can also have the ability to have multiple things, one emitter that emits a particular signal, but multiple listeners that will all listen for that particular firework and respond in different ways, but basically at the same time or mm. multiple emitters that can kick out the same signal and a single listener. That's just listening for anybody who spits out that particular signal mm. and just kind of throwing away the implementation details in my head. I, I throw away what the object structures look like and cues and all this kind of stuff. And just kind of go, you got a set of listeners, and you got a set of emitters, and then there's signals that appear. And you can make an emitter that generates a signal that nobody's listening for, and that's okay. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Or you can have a listener that's listening for a signal that's never going to happen. That's also okay. Um, That's the the story of my life. (laughs) So, but when those things connect, you can pass a, a signal across them. And in my head, this is the one that will probably be more contentious. In general, in my head, I think of these event systems primarily as cheats. Mm -hmm. And they are cheats for when you don't know what the path is that's going to connect these two objects. You don't, yeah. you don't know, like, how to get from point A to point B. Because if you could, you could just have A tell B to do something. That's what you would do. Yeah. Um, but at some point, the path from A to B goes through 37 other objects. And maybe some of those objects are being created and deleted. And so the path between them is constantly changing. And past a particular point, you just kind of have to say, listen, the right move here is to move up an abstraction layer and just fire off a firework and let everybody else respond. Let let the people who care notice. Mm. And then I don't have to worry about what's in between those two spots. Now granted, so you could theoretically use an event system to replace all variable passing. (laughs) All function calls could be done this way. Don't Where, do that. No, correct. And that's why I kind of <laughs> think of it as a cheat. It's like, it's one of those things that I don't want to use except when it's really the only answer. Like, if I can connect A to B directly, just call the function. Just just call the method and be done with it. Um, now, in your case, with the things that you're dealing with, they've used this as a way to loosely couple components. So we've got a thing and you don't really need to worry about what the thing is, how it works, what its implementation details are, what its object structure is, any of that. we got a thing. Mm -hmm. And the only part that you have to care about is that periodically the thing will generate one of three messages. And should you care about one of those three messages, you should make your own object that listens for one of those three messages. But you don't have to care about where the thing is or where it exists or where these things are tightly or loosely coupled. Nope. Just listen for the cue. L- mm-hmm. Listen for the firework to go off. And if that goes off, respond. That's that's it. Um, now the cool part is there's tons of data you can put in those fireworks and those signal passings can carry entire class structures of data content basically as a payload for this message. And you can catch all sorts of cool stuff that way. But as a general rule of thumb, it's not where my brain goes first for solving any problem. I'll always look for a more direct communication path. Can I intelligently connect these two things? And actually unity is really nice about that. There's some really cool stuff in unity for either pre-making those connections when you're setting up the scene, or loosely generating those connections or or, or making those connections explicitly at runtime mm-hmm. by crawling the structure and finding the things that you care about and then storing a reference to those objects in a way that's easier in Unity than most of the other environments I've ever worked in. Um but so yeah so there's different tools that will then either set themselves up as listeners or emitters for those messages. So in theory, somebody could make a tool, you know, uh, let's say it's a logging system and the logging system is just listening for a signal and you just start spitting stuff into a queue from anywhere in your project. And this logging system will catch them out of the air, log them to an external text file or something like that and move on. Yeah. And so you never have to actually like draw a line to the logging system. You just drop the object into the thing and done. It's there. Um, So yeah. And then within that. So once I've got that level of abstraction, the difference between C sharp events and unity events, they're basically indistinguishable.
1: So I guess a lot of my confusion came from just skimming documents too quickly or skimming blogs too quickly and the fact that there's two two different problems that I'm solving at the same time. One is the i'm I'm pushing a physical button on the controller, the application menu button and I want to get an input I want to get generate a an event when that happens so i want to listen for an event and then do something with that mm-hmm. and in that case i'm just unhiding the menu so i'm just i've got the menu uh, deactivated in the inspector and you click that button and activate it and then the menu has a component on it that on enable it just repositions itself where you're facing and orients itself so that's the first one listen for this event listen for this physical button then the other one with the laser pointer we're actually like fudging a fake input event. So usually with Unity's UI stuff, it listens for events with that event system. It listens for events using Unity events. It listens for mouse and keyboard and gamepad events. It set up all of those to do natively. The Vive controllers are not part of that schema. Uh So with a laser pointer, we're like making up a laser pointer that can fake an event, fake a mouse click on the UI, send that to the Unity event system that's attached to the UI button game object, and then call <coughs> call another uh, a game object. And that does call a game object. It doesn't call another script. It calls like a property and a component. So you feed in a game object of some kind, and then it gives you a dropdown of all the components on that that have things you can call on them it's like those two very different ways of doing essentially the same thing were really confusing me i understand it now after talking about it today and yeah it's just a un, it was unpleasant to say <laughs> the least
0: yeah so it's um i'm i'm reminded of uh what was it hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy where they explaining the restaurant at the end of the universe and the way all of this works. And he's kind of making this diagram on the table using salt shakers and people's dinner plates and wine glasses. It's like, so this, so everything that I've just described is completely wrong in every detail, but it's kind of helpful. Mm -hmm. That's, that's how I feel about the event systems. Like I've, I've, I've wrapped them up in a pretty little picture in my head. And as long as I only interact with the picture, the event systems work perfectly
1: yeah and now that i've struggled with them for a couple of days i know how to use them it'll be another thing in my toolkit and i won't forget
0: ah <laughs> so. uh, yes the burned hand teaches best yes definitely. Right? i'm just full of the lovely little quotes today aren't i i should stop yeah, doing really- that or do it more one or the other something like that
1: we'll make a quote episode just you saying semi-profound things?
0: Other people's semi-profound things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's enough business. Let's talk about VR. <laughs> what have you uh, been doing in VR lately?
0: Um, Actually, be-
1: before you answer that question, I do want to apologize to the listener for derailing Dave. So you may notice Dave hasn't had a lot of VR development to talk about. It's because he's become utterly obsessed with uh, graph database theory. And uh, that's kind of my fault for sending him a link to a YouTube video that I thought was interesting.
0: Yeah, that ended up being a very, very, very deep rabbit hole. Um, Yeah, It
1: it just so happens that this particular graph theory database technology would suit Dave's business application very, very well which is convenient because he was thinking about rebuilding some of it. So. So,
0: yeah. Hey, you know, before you do that, before you <laughs> pick a database, check this out. <laughs> hey, here's an interesting new relatively cutting edge uh, database concept. Mm-hmm. What do you think? And I started digging and then I started digging and that, you know, I'm, I'm halfway to China by now.
1: Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I'll post a link to that in the show notes because it is a pretty good watch.
0: <laughs> if you care about things like databases, it's very, very interesting. If you don't care about databases, the guy's got a really cool presentation style. You, you mm-hmm. should check that out because he's a really good presenter. But aside from that, you won't find it very interesting.
1: I was told there'd be no math. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some VR games. What have you been playing or showing other people?
0: Yeah, So my parents were coming up and coming into town. Um, They live, you know, 120 miles away. So they don't end up at my house very often. Most of the time I end up over at their, or down at their place. And um, as part of coming up and visiting, my father said, hey, I want to see some more VR stuff. Okay, cool. Let's do some of that. And so I spent some time, if I'm really going to be doing a big tour, I want to sit down with the software that I want to show people beforehand and A, make sure it's all updated and B, make sure I can make it all work. Mm -hmm. And I've actually been having difficulty recently getting the TP cast functioning properly. Uh And I think I figured out what the problem was. Now, but the last time I tried taking somebody through VR, it cost me about an hour and a half before they showed mm. up, beating the thing around. And even then I finally fixed it, but didn't know what I had fixed. Mm. Yeah. So that was better, but it only gave me a couple of clues that ended up bearing fruit later. So here's the trick. Uh if you recall what I was mentioning with the TP cast before, if you when you want to use the TP cast, you have to first bring up a TP cast app and tell it to connect to the headset. And then once it's done, then you can really go into steam and start loading stuff. Now, because I was concerned about that connection there, the next thing that I would bring up is the steam VR, little control panel thing that shows up in the lower right hand corner, the little Mm -hmm. green lines and tells you what's working. And it'll then light up and tell you that everything's there. And everything's happy. And I'm like, awesome, that's happy. Now I'll go load a game. And I would load a game, and none of the video would stream to the, to the goggles. Hmm. Now I could look on the screen, and the screen is noticing where the headset is pointed. So the headset's working, I'm just not getting the video into the goggles. And yeah. I'm rebooting and updating stuff and messing with things, and absolutely nothing is working. And one time I did things in a slightly different order. And it started working. So here's the trick. Don't load the little VR control panel for Steam VR. Make the TP cast do its connection thing, then go into Steam and start a game. Let the game tell Steam VR to make the connection to the headset. And when you do that, works great every time. Hmm. But the difference between those two things that I had thought was a minor one of order. Yeah. Turned out to be absolutely critical.
1: Yeah, because the way I always do it is I start the Steam VR app, put the headset on, go into the Steam VR home, and pick a game. I don't ever pick it out of the Steam app. Okay. So that would be like if I, if I were to get a TP cast right now and not have
0: had this conversation, I would think this is totally broken. Well, maybe not because when you maybe when you connect the thing and then start the Steam home. mm Hmm that's probably going to qualify as running an app. That's an app but in not, and of itself.
1: I'm not starting the Steam app. That just starts when you open the, the Steam VR
0: tool. Oh, okay, yeah. Then, yes, that might cause a problem. Um, so, yeah, I've also been having a problem where my... So I'd gotten in the habit when I was running around in Steam of, okay, I've played this for a while. I want to play something else. And I won't ever actually quit the game i'm playing i'll just go to another game and that worked for quite a while and now for whatever reason that doesn't work anymore if i go and try and launch a second game it'll sit there and blink like it's trying to launch the second game but the first game will never quit and i'm hosed like the only way to fix that is literally to quit steam
1: yeah
0: and start over so i fixed that one or found the path around that one as well which was when you're done with a game exit that game then go do the next game
1: no sometimes even that doesn't work sometimes these games just freeze anyway well I I still have that because I always exit games and sometimes the game just fails to exit properly yeah and uh, it it will even throw it'll throw an error dialog on the desktop but it will be behind all other windows so it won't even come to the forefront so if you've got like the, the viewport window and the Steam window mm-hmm. and the Steam VR window, maybe a browser open, it'll be
0: behind all of those things. Yeah. Mine will show that dialogue in front, but it only shows it on the desktop. It doesn't provide any message into the headset. Yeah. So unless I actually go back into the Steam control panel and say, okay, now show me the desktop. That's the only way I can see that. And usually I end up noticing it when I'm like, nothing's loading. And I take the headset off and look at the screen on the computer. Hmm. Because um, I'm just, I'm not used to bringing up the computer desktop in VR. It's just not a pattern for me. Yeah. So anyway, it was it was a bunch of painful crap that in the end I found paths around all of them. Um, and so now I'm back to being happy again. But it was kind of unhappy with my recent VR experiences for a while. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I hopped in and I... Found a whole extra two panels of brushes and things in uh, tilt brush. Um, it I had a lot of fun painting with a really wide brush using the duct tape brush. Mm, cool. That makes really wide thin paint strokes that just look neat as like a ribbon going through space. It was a lot of fun running around with those. Um, Have you?
1: Have you found a way, this is a friend asked me this today, have you found a way when you're drawing something to like be able to start with a very thin ribbon of material and then widen it as you draw and then kind of reduce it down again? Have you seen anything like that?
0: So on the first screen of brushes on the far left, there are options for like shaped brushes. And they'll do that. It's not. It's oh, kind okay. of like a calligraphy, a calligraphy brush or a calligraphy pen. But they'll have a tendency to kind of start thin and then taper off at the end. Okay. Um, but what the thing you? that I was always noticing was whenever I come into Tilt Brush, it's the middle panel of brushes that's being displayed. And the only thing that acts like a real brush is light in the upper left-hand corner. And everything else is weird crap. And that was where I found things, was I'd never seen the, arrow, the little arrows at the lower left and right corners. And so going over to the left one screen, there's a whole bunch of really cool brushes there. Like actual painting brushes. They look really neat, and they got cool effects. And Yeah, I wonder if you just got stuck on that screen, because I always saw that one first. Nope. Every single time I load up Tilt Brush, I have the middle one. Hmm. So it was like, hey, painting with fire and embers is really neat, but how do I paint? Um So yeah, that was cool. Um so have
1: you published anything on uh Google Poly?
0: No. Uh, no. You
1: no. can uh, you can link t- Tilt Brush to your Google account and then publish from right in the app and share it on uh I think it's like poly.google.com.
0: Yeah, I personally will probably never ever in my entire life produce something in Tilt Brush that would be worth sharing. Um. <laughs> Tiltbrush Brush is one of those apps that I want to know how to use as a technological facilitator so that when my art friends come over, I can walk them through it and then just turn them loose and watch them do amazing stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: that's me as technology enabler, not as artist. Um, took my father through Richie's Plank experience. It was oh, be-
1: Before we leave Tilt Brush, oh, yeah. my, friend, uh, my friend Patrick came over to try Tilt Brush and Google Blocks today. And I showed him Google Blocks first because I thought Tilt Brush was more impressive. So I figured I'd save that one. And uh, he was pretty impressed with Google Blocks. Um, doesn't have any 3D modeling background, but he just kind of played with the tools and made some basic stuff and learned how to manipulate shapes and kind of got the hang of it fairly quickly. Didn't make anything that resembled anything at all. <laughs> But, you know, just kind of like playing with clay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Tilt Brush, he was way more impressed by that and just spent like two or three minutes figuring out what the tools do and then like, okay, I've got an idea, leave me alone. <laughs> and like, I just went out to the living room and did some reading for a while and he spent like an hour and a half, I think it was closer to an hour and 45 minutes, just like uninterrupted in the zone making stuff in Tilt Brush. And I'll share a link to what he made because I published it. He published it on my Poly account. But it's just like this. uh, He made four or five different things, but he only saved one of them in that time. Um, But it's it's like the earth, and then there's a large wormhole opening up and a bunch of energy coming out and, like, swallowing the earth. And he calls it the last thing they saw. (laughs) It's kind of cool. Sold, I want to see. So I'll post a link to that in the show notes. It's pretty cool stuff. And it's just amazing, like, I'm kind of in the same place as you are with these tools. Like, I would love to be good at this stuff. But, yep. like, I look at the tools and, and I think of, like, how would I implement that in an app? I don't think of, like, what can I draw with this? And, uh, like, just seeing him, like, I'm standing here watching him just, like, flip through the controls and, like, try different things. So like, I do that same thing, but with, like, settings, menus, and APIs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not, not with artistic tools. No. I don't have that. So anyway, you were about to shove your father off of a tall building.
0: Yeah, took dad through Richie's plank experience and that was as enjoyable as you would imagine. Um, <laughs> it's just like it, it's always interesting to me because everybody's fascinated for about the first four minutes and then they go, okay, what else? And I'm like, well, that's kind of it. I mean, there's other stuff, but really its it's kind of it. Let him, mm-hmm. he was flying around making smoke trails for far longer than I would have found enjoyable. Um, but uh, yeah, that one's fun. Um, they wanted to see what I played, so I pulled out Quiver. Mm-hmm. And I play Quiver just rarely enough that every single time I play Quiver, it's a completely different game. It's in pre-release now, and so you give them a month or two in between plays, and they've gone in an entirely different way. So there's new monsters popping up with new behaviors, and what the hell is this guy doing? And I... but Okay, let's just keep going. Kill more monsters.
1: Yeah, Tr- Trickster's kind of the same way. where they, it's It's getting updated pretty frequently, and it's changing a lot. And they've made a lot of improvements, but they've also broken some things along the way. Like recently I was on a mission and there was four or five enemies coming at me from the same place and one of them stopped and the other four just ran into the same position that the first one stopped in. So I had like, I just walked over with one sword and killed all five of them with one hit. It was kind of great. Like, yeah, they're they're not really supposed to overlap like that.
0: (laughs) Did you file a bug report?
1: No, no. It's a a great way to win.
0: Okay, there you go. functions as intended thank you (laughs) yeah um and then i actually i I purchased it quite a while ago probably during one of the like the steam summer sale i just never actually sat down and played with uh the fantastic contraption Mm. and finally dusted that off and that was a lot of fun the weirdest part was working on my contraption and i found myself ducking around it yeah or, or carefully high-stepping so I could step over the thing to get to the other side of it. Have you found the helmet yet? I found the helmet, yes. Have you used the helmet? Uh, A little bit? I just thought that was a
1: really cool way of doing things. Where you put a helmet on and the scene changes, but the scene doesn't really change. You just put on another scene in your head.
0: I it's was kind sweet. of disturbed that the way you move the little cat pallet around was by grabbing its butthole.
1: No, you don't have to grab its butt. You can grab it anywhere.
0: Oh, every other place I grabbed it, it wasn't moving. <laughs> but you grabbing the butthole the, worked.
1: You can also just, I think, pull the trigger and it comes to comes toward you.
0: It was like a double click on the trigger made it come towards you, I think. Yeah,
1: it does, it does fart when it arrives, though.
0: That, like, too. Yes, the cat like, was was a little disturbing. Um, of course if you don't have to grab it by the butthole to move it around then I guess I was just accidentally making it more disturbing but the cat was pretty disturbing <laughs>
1: nice I, it did catch the app did catch me cheating at one point I tried to make a really long uh, pull and then just like stick the little object to it and like throw it at the uh, the goal uh-huh. um, it detected cheating and me like it Forced me to throw my contraption into the volcano and it kind of like scolded me a little bit. Oh, really? He's like, "Put the helmet on, okay. Now pick up your contraption, okay. Now throw it in the volcano, okay. Now you <laughs> take the helmet
0: off." <laughs> I mean, I I tried knocking over the thing with just a stick, and there was a kind of a a, a little circular plane that popped up that. She kinda of showed me no, you can't interact with anything beyond this point. But I didn't try mm-hmm. throwing anything at it.
1: Well, I threw it with the contraption itself. So like I made a a little wheeled contraption. Oh, you made a launcher. Yeah, essentially. Oh wow. But was
0: outside of the rules. The I am so much a software guy and not a hardware guy that by the time I got done with almost the most simple of tutorials. I was already realizing that I'm not going to get very far in the Fantastic Contraption. I'm just, it's one of those games that's going to stump me very, very quickly. Because my brain just doesn't work the way that game works. Hmm. Um, I love the interactions. I love the fantastic stuff. But I'm pretty sure that game is going to outpace me very quickly.
1: Yeah. I've only played a couple of levels on it. A friend of mine played through like half of it, I think, in in a couple of hours. Same thing with a uh, Cat Sorter VR, which is a, mm-hmm. a, a delightful Mr. Potato Head style game where you've got broken cats coming down a conveyor belt and you've got to fix them and you've got like a bunch of cat parts behind you. So, you know, a cat can come through with like a peg leg and you've got to give it a real leg or this cat has bat wings or this cat has a butthole for an eye. And, like you just got to take these parts off and put real parts in the right place and feed them down the conveyor belt. And it's it's hilarious. And uh, I, d- I immediately gave them money as soon as they launched. Like, like, it's just a no-brainer. And I I played it for a couple of minutes and looked around. And You know, I, I played it for a couple of minutes several times, but it's not something I spent a lot of time in. But a friend of mine comes over and plays it for an hour and a half and just zones out.
0: Yeah, I was also having difficulty... I mean, part of the thing that I have to do is I have to go back and, like, read online to figure out how some of the interactions in Fantastic Contraption work. Mm-hmm. Because during the tutorial... I, whatever I was doing was making the thing happy too fast. So like, oh, here's how you uh, break a, a stick into two sections or like make the stick bend. And I'm like, but I have no idea what button I press to make it happen. Mm-hmm. They're just like, here's how you, thank you, congratulations, now we're moving on. I'm like, wait, whoa, whoa, how is that? And I still don't have any idea what the blue noodles do. Yeah, me neither. I mean, there's, there's the sticks and I got the sticks, but there's the blue ones. and I'm like, what? I haven't been able to figure out what the physical characteristics of the stupid things are. So, um, I'll have to do some reading and it'll almost undoubtedly end up mass manif- manifesting as a cheat or two where somebody will explain, oh, well you could use it to do X or Y. I'll be like, oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Just watch a YouTube video. Somebody playing it. Yeah. So the other game I've been playing is uh, Solaris Project. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But it is it's a pretty cool cool game. I started it last summer, and then I kind of forgot about it, so I restarted it this week. But uh, it, without giving too much away, basically it's a survival game on an alien planet where some circumstances have left you on this planet, and now you've got to survive. And you start with basically just like a handheld device and... You can, this device can help you like scan your environment, you can, you can collect items and it's got kind of a crafting system, but like your first order of business is just like get cover immediately. Okay, Find water, okay, Find food, find fire, mm-hmm. like real primitive stuff. And then uh, there's like messages scattered around. There's definitely some kind of alien presence on this world, but I haven't been introduced to it yet. And there's, like, additional abilities that you can unlock the longer you go. But it's pretty easy to die. (laughs) Um, Like, I didn't find food. I was just, like, having fun exploring the environment because the landscapes are really well done. And this is all done in Unreal Engine. And uh, just, you know, kind of zooming around, looking at the foliage and the trees and the the water effects, things like that. And then I starved to death and died. And then, uh, you know, I restarted and kept looking around and i realized i could climb this cliff and can kind of explore the rest of the place i was on and then i forgot that i was supposed to be looking for food and got the indication that i was going to starve to death so i jumped off the cliff which had a pretty nice animation <laughs> like I, I did fall away to the ground and like showed me falling to the ground and then my helmet broke uh-huh. and like i could hear myself dying like that's actually pretty well done <laughs> Yeah, fun game. It may be that uh, that kind of you know go-to game for VR that I have for a while. Since I've been looking for something like that the last couple of weeks. So. Well, that's all I have for this week. Okay. Anything else from you?
0: Mm, nope. Not unless you want to talk about graph databases for a couple hours.
1: <laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs>
0: that's our show for today you can follow us on twitter i'm vrhermit underscore dave and i'm vrhermit underscore joe if you get a
1: chance please like us in your podcast player of choice or leave a review on itunes and uh tell your friends about us thanks for listening